Welcome to the Mosaic Church Sermon Podcast. Mosaic Church seeks to engage the modern age with the historic Christian faith. If you don't have a home church, please don't use this podcast as a substitute for being a member of a local community of faith. Whether you call Mosaic your home or not, we hope that you find this sermon convicting and encouraging in your walk with Jesus. Here's our executive pastor, Pastor Brandon McPherson, with this week's sermon. So today we're going to uh, cover Mark's only unique parable. This is the only parable found in the Gospel of Mark that um, is not found in any of the other Gospels. And so it's unique in itself um, that, that in this small book, Mark uh, notes that it's important to include this. And we should be grateful that he does. Jesus crafts a second parable here that we're going to cover about sowing seeds. In the parable of the soils that we had discussed a couple of weeks ago, the focus was on the necessity of sowing and and the receptivity of the soils. But here the emphasis falls on the innate power of the seed. And so it's important that we, as we cover this today, that the Word of God, we understand that the Word of God has within it the power on its own for success and triumph. That is the key, that that is going to be what's vital as we cover today, that we understand that God's word is his word in such a way that if you can let it loose and watch it work, that is God's word, that we don't have to add anything to it, we don't have to be ashamed of it, we don't have to take anything away, that, that it is infallible and that it is complete, and that we can trust God's word knowing that it is true. And so our verses for today notes the kingdom's sowing, it's growing, and it's harvesting. From beginning to end, the sovereignty of Christ and the power of the word stand forth in absolute authority. And so Mark chapter 4, verse 26, if you would, we just stand with me one last time as we honor the reading of God's word just here in these couple of verses. Mark chapter 4, verse 26 And it says this, and he said that the kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. He sleeps and rises night and day, and the seed sprouts and grows. He knows not how. The earth produces by itself first the blade, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. But when the grain is ripe, at once he puts in the sickle, because the harvest has come. This is God's word. Let us pray this morning. Father, we thank you. We love you, Lord. God, what, a, what an honor, what a privilege it is to, to have your word, to have this, this light, that this, this two-edged sword, Lord, that we can, we can go to and we can find comfort and glean from. Lord, we thank you, not just for the word, but for the preaching of your word. Lord, I ask that you would have me say no more or less than what you have ordained today for your people. We give you thanks. Bless this time. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated this morning. Jesus starts off this parable with the kingdom of God. And sometimes I think we skip over something said like this without really taking in as to what is the kingdom. What is the kingdom of God? We, we hear about it. Um, and so the kingdom is mentioned throughout Scripture in the Old and in the New Testament. The kingdom uh, is coming or the kingdom is near or the kingdom is upon you. Well, how can the kingdom be upon the people or near them? It is because the kingdom of God was near them at this time because the king of the kingdom was there. 
That's what, that's what is encouraging to the people, that when, that when he came, Jesus inaugurated God's kingdom. He didn't consummate it, but he started it, that this is God's kingdom, that he is the ruler, the king of this kingdom, that Jesus' kingship is not something that remains in the future, that Christ is the king right this moment. Isn't that true? That, that Christ, we don't have to wait for, we, it, it's not in the end we win, it is that we have already won. And that the kingdom has already been, is already here, it's with us. And that we have harmony in it, that we have been given authority through it. That Christ is king. That he is the, in the seat of the highest cosmic authority. That all authority in heaven and earth has been given to God's anointed son. This is important. This is an important reality as we look to this text that we understand our position and God's position as he has invited us into his kingdom that things shift. That the culture that we are in currently, it will, it will tell us to categorize ourselves in certain ways. And God's kingdom is this, that either those who believe in him and those who do not. It's much simpler than, than all of the categories that we create as I was reading, preparing for this sermon, I, I read a, a story of um, the late R.C. Sproul who says that in 1980, him and his wife were traveling throughout Europe, and he was ministering the gospel to different countries, and as their tour guide was leading them into the Romanian border, he gave warning to him and his wife, Vesta, and said, look, as we go into this border, there is a chance that guards might stop us. And if guards stop you, we need, I need you guys to just keep your mouth shut. Don't say anything. Don't say what we're doing. There's a chance that we could get arrested. It's going to be tense, but we'll just see if we can get through. And of course, R.C. was nervous, as any of us would be nervous at this reality. And they come to the border, and there, sure enough, are two guards who don't speak English and come up to him and have confronted them over this, and they're, they're being rude and hostile, and, and R.C. doesn't know what's going on because he doesn't understand the language. And the story goes on that another man, the, the, the leader of this uh, guard group, comes up to them, and he speaks broken English, and he begins to speak to them, and he notices something on, the guard notices something on R.C. Sproul's wife's lap, and she has it covered in, with her blanket, and he says, what is that? And it was just peering out at the corner, and she pulls it out, and it was her Bible. And R.C. was like, oh, man, of all days for her to just have her Bible sitting on her lap, like, this is not the moment. And so the guy grabs the Bible, and he's rifling through the pages, and he says that he looks at them, and he says, you are not American. And they're like, what? And he says, you are not American. And he said, and I am not Romanian. And he hands the Bible to them with a smile on his face. And he, he points to Philippians chapter 3. And he says, our citizenship is in heaven. And he said, these are Christians. Let them go. And it's a beautiful story of this, this, these groups that we place one another in. And for this man, this fellow believer who on the other side of the world had the perspective of knowing that it is kingdom. It's a kingdom. It's a citizenship that, that before we are uh, from Mechanicsville or before we're from Virginia or before we're Americans or before we're white or black or whatever it might be, we are citizens of God's kingdom. Amen? That is good news, isn't it? I mean, we could just stop right there and begin to worship that God is so good that he invites us into the citizenship of heaven. 
that it is not a kingdom that will be ruled by God's appointed, uh, that it is a kingdom that will be ruled by God's appointed Messiah. And he is not just the redeemer of his people, but he is king. He is king. That when Jesus speaks here to the kingdom of God, he is speaking of his kingdom. And so this is the growth of that kingdom at work as we look here in these following verses. Let's continue in our text, verse 26 again. The kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. This word scatter here is from the Greek. It's a Greek word uh, that's pronounced balo, which is a verb that means to cast out or to throw. And so what Jesus is saying is that a, there's a man who is, the, the kingdom of heaven is like this man who just balos, this, this just casts out these seeds over into the soil. And I don't want to spend too much time here, but I do think that it's important that we understand that the main focus of this text is not the man. It is the seed. That is the, that is the focus, that that is the primary purpose of this parable. But I do think that it's worth noting that the verb that is chosen here by Jesus to be used in this context is one that incites a bit of dysfunction. That, that he is using this word as to just simply toss something or to scatter something. That the scattering of seed is going to sprout into something despite the process. Though man is broken and imperfect, God chooses man to be used as a tool in the process of the growth of God's kingdom. That God has given man responsibility. It's important that we, that we know this, that we are responsible. That, that we don't have, that we don't, because grace has been given to us, that we don't just live lawless lives. That we don't just say, well, God's grace is enough, and so I don't have to, I don't have to do anything, right? I can just rest in God's grace. And sure, we can rest, and we should rest in God's grace. But God has appointed his people uh, things to do, right? He's appointed us a mission. He's appointed to us a course that we are to follow. Can God save without man? Well, can a tree be planted without man? Sure. Of course. But again, this is God rich in his love for us that he grants us the honor of being involved in this holy process. That this is God's compliment to us that we get to receive him and that we get to not only receive his gift, but we get to partake in the gift. That we get to be a part, that we get to be a tool that God uses. When Jordan and I were young, we would... uh, we would spend time, a lot of our time, either in the backyard throwing ball or uh, getting into mischief. Or in the other parts of our time, we would spend in dad's workshop with him. And he was out there working on projects, doing who knows what. And we had to have slowed him down significantly by being out there. I mean, we were he would give us some nails and a hammer and just say, like, here's a stay over here. Or he'd let us up on the jigsaw every once in a while if we were, you know, really trusting that day. And... Um, He would allow us to be a part in those moments. And there was one moment in particular that we always enjoyed, and that was dad would take a a piece of wood, like a two-by-four or something, and he would hold it out to us, and he would have both his hands on the end, and he would say, buddy, come here, I need need to to break this. I need you to to break this. And he'd he'd get us to warm up our little hands, and we'd, we'd sit there, and we'd hover over that board, and then we'd just come right down on it, snapping that thing in half, feeling like an absolute monster. 
And dad's just, you know, of course, uh, rewarding us with praise. Just, man, you guys are so strong. Like, you guys are so great. And we were just like, man, I am awesome. Like, do you see me breaking these boards, Jojo? And he's like, yeah. And we're just breaking boards out there. And and it was an awesome time. And, And dad would do it. Uh, often. I don't know. It was a, a fond memory that my brother and I both have. Not as fond was uh, the, the memory of uh, him sometime later going off to work and us breaking into his workshop to get a piece of wood, right? Because we were like, look, dad's gone, but it, we need to chop some wood. It's time to get some wood chopped. And so we would go, we went out to the shop and I will never forget this day of, of Jordan holding the board for me and my hand violently coming down on it into my surprise, just stopping. <laughs> right? and, and realizing in that moment that something is missing, that we are here and we are both just bruising our hands on all of these, these pieces of wood and we can't figure out what it is. And it wasn't until later that we realized that our father had shimmed down the wood so that we could break it to make it feel that we were in more power than we actually were. And it was through that that we realized that we were not as strong as we thought we were when our father wasn't around that we were a part of this process that we, that we loved so much, but when he wasn't there and when he wasn't orchestrating it, we were powerless. We were, we were just weak five and six-year-olds. But when dad was around, was around, there was something about that moment that we felt like he's allowing us to participate in something that we know that we couldn't do on our own. And this is the, th- the throwing of the seed. This is, this is the seed. This is God allowing his children to say, come, partake, be a part, because it is to your joy that you spread this seed. God doesn't say, go and, go and uh, preach the gospel and go and make disciples to the ends of the world for your, to rob you. He doesn't command you to do those things to take from you. He doesn't say to, to go and love your neighbor to, to uh, suppress you or to harm you. He does it because a good father knows what's good for his children. He knows the delight that we might have if we just would step into the shop and participate. This is how good our father is. And yet there is far more mystery to this text than just a piece of wood being snapped into two. Let's continue in verse 27. He says that he sleeps and he rises night and day and the seed sprouts and grows and he knows not how. Here, Jesus is reminding us again of the mystery in this process. That our role is, our role in this order, yet minuscule, it is our role. It is necessary. It is, it is what we have been called to do. It is what we have been offered to partake in, and it is important. Last week, I mentioned to you one of my favorite verses, um, and I'll, I'll reiterate it again this week, John 10.10. 10 familiar passage that of the enemy's uh, objective, and that is to, to steal, to kill, and to destroy. And then Jesus, who's on the scene, who says, but I have come to give you life and life more abundantly. The enemy will do all that he can to convince you, to give, convince me, to convince us that the things of God that he has called us to be obedient to will rob you. That's what he'll convince us of. When we think of this in our, in our own lives or even how we view the church or how we view the body of Christ, we might say things like, well, my role here at Mosaic isn't important. It's not significant. 
I don't, I don't get to hold a microphone, or I, I'm just doing this, or, or I'm, I'm working nursery today. Or we might say things in our own lives of like, well, prayer maybe isn't all that important. I haven't seen God move in prayer. Maybe I shouldn't pray like God has asked me to. Or maybe it's something more practical, like I'm just a stay-at-home mom. I'm just at home, and I'm just, I'm just with these kids, and, and no one sees my efforts. No one sees how hard I'm working, or, or I don't know how to preach a sermon, or I don't know, I don't know how I can be it's more significant to the body of Christ. And the enemy is so good at convincing us that because we cannot meticulously plant in a way that others see, like maybe another seasoned farmer that you might would look at. If our role isn't as, as propped up or as flashy as what someone else is, then, it isn't, then there isn't a purpose to plant at all. This is the lie from the enemy. To convince you that just because you're not planting the big seeds on the big platform in front of big crowds that you aren't needed. But that God sees what we are doing and he's called us to these things. That Jesus is showing us in this parable the way in which these seeds are cast. And in this parable it is shown in a way that is not perfectly done. So if any, at any point you thought that training, the training of your child's soul, that your own discipleship or the preaching to the lost was confined to the responsibility of the leadership or pastors of the church, then Satan has deceived you. That if at any point you think that your child's upbringing is responsible, that it lies responsible on what goes on in those rooms for an hour once a week, the enemy has deceived you. You play a bigger role than just showing up and bringing your kids to kids' church. And yeah, it's great and it's important and it's valuable and we love it, but there's more. If you think that your own discipleship, if, if the only time that we're, we're reading God's word and engaging with God's people is for an hour and a half on a Sunday, then you are being deceived. There's more to it. If, if you think that the preaching of the gospel to the lost is just the responsibility of myself or Pastor Greg, then you are missing it. We cannot wait for an event to preach the gospel to the lost. So to be clear, as we move on, the, the, the seed is God's word. Let's, let's just make that clear, make that known. That as we're reading this, that we're not just, yes, it's a parable and it's allegory and there, there are some things here, but, but the, the, the seed is God's word. And the church, it seems, is slowly trending to a more performance-based service where the, the professionals show off and show what they've either learned or maybe misinterpreted the week before as they do their best to, to uh, make people attend by flashy things. Because we've stepped, at times, the church has stepped away from the word. And this we see repeated over and over throughout church history of times where God's people just seem to sort of move away from the important things to the superficial things that are just surface level. And because we can fill big churches with those thoughts, we feel that we're doing something. But we're not. The effect is that we have weaker Christians while simultaneously having weaker pastors who are putting more of an emphasis on stage lights and catchy sermon series than we are the actual preaching of God's word. 
We have to get back to God's word. We have to, we have to be burdened to be in God's word. All these other things have to become second place because when we put the secondary things first, everything gets out of skew. When we move away from God's word, we move inward. That is, that is the only option. When we move away from God's word, we move into our own preferences and our own comforts. We can't help it. Think, think with me to the familiar story of, of Peter on the water with Jesus. I mean, he's in the moment that he's standing on this water, I mean, what would that have been like? This amazing moment where Peter steps out of the boat and he, he looks at, at Jesus, at the word, at the seed, and he's focused. And in that moment, he's there and he's standing on the impossible. And you know the story. He takes his eyes off of Jesus. He takes his eyes off of the word for the moment and begins to think about himself for a second. And what happens? The inevitable, he begins to sink. And yeah, that's a, that's a quick story of something that happened very quickly. But, but when we begin to pull away from God's word, it can become this gradual pulling away from God himself, from his people. However, the seed produces on its own. We can take joy in this. We can take comfort in this. Look at verse 28. The earth produces by itself. First the blade, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. We simply need to forget about trying to see the fruit of our service immediately. We need to, we need to put that aside. We need to put aside that, that, oh man, like we planted this church January of last year and like, well, I thought we'd be running like 200 people. And I don't think anyone had thought that with the mosaic at the beginning. But, you know, this process of things happening and like, man, look, if you'd have told us January of last year that we'd be preaching March of this year and everyone's sitting here in masks, I would be like, Why? Right? Why are we doing this? But this is just what life has done, and life has, has just been thrown at us, and we've been tossed into these circumstances, and yet God's word is still valued above all, and yet it doesn't need to happen immediately. I'm going to uh, do this without permission and put, uh, not ask Jasmine to come forward, but just talk about her. She's okay with that. And, but I can just tell you that, I, and I've shared this at other times and other sermons, but Jasmine is such a, such a great place in my heart because when I first met Jasmine, she was, can I just say out of control? Can I, is that okay? Okay. So she was just out of control. And I mean that in, in, in just about every way. And, and I, I, I would say that like, I wish that I could say like, as soon as I met her, like I was so burdened for her and I had so much love for her. But in fact, she would sit in my classes and she would purposefully disrupt me at times. And I was just like, man, can she just not be here? <laughs> and I had no idea that week after week she was hearing God's word. And the Lord humbled me throughout this process of watching her and not realizing what was going on because I couldn't see it. Because what we want is for someone to walk in off the streets, jacked up, and by the end of my awesome service, I want them walked out of here in completely a different attire. Like I want them fully, I want them in their tie ready to go out with their Bible and their, their invite cards to invite people. That's what I want. First time I met Jasmine, she showed up with 
wild pink hair. It was, that was awesome. I wouldn't be upset if you did that again. It was this wild pink hair, and she was in there, and guess what? The next week, she showed up again with the same wild pink hair. It just kept on going, that, that it was this slow process, but God was moving in her life. It wasn't immediate. And then I began to see the scales fall off her become something that happened supernaturally. That, on, that, God, that something that happened to her that only God could do. Are you with me? Have you seen this happen? Have you seen this happen in your own life? That, that God has done something in you that only God can do. That we praise God for these moments. That, that as we look to someone and we just think there's no way that person could love you, Jesus. And Jesus being rich and full of love and mercy, grabs them, loves them, and transforms them. Have you seen it? If you haven't, you're just not, you haven't been paying attention. Because if you've been in the church for any amount of time, you should see this. And a church that isn't seeing this is doing something wrong. We need to be burdened for the lost and to see these amazing moments where God takes someone in the same miry clay that you and I once were in, And pulls them from it. Praise God that he still saves people today. Praise God. As I mentioned about Peter's moment on the water. It's important to note that Christ is in control. That we'll be be reading in the next couple of weeks. Of how his disciples wondered who Jesus really was. Because they say even the wind and the sea obey him. This was perplexing to them. It's like look I understand if like. I can wrap my mind around someone. These chairs get heavy if you stack like three or four of them on top. I could wrap my mind around someone walking in here and just lifting up ten of them. Look, you've done the training. Like, that's insane. That, that's pretty impressive. Like, you're able to do that. you got some good core and back strength. That's awesome. But, but the sea listening to you, that's another level, right? That's, that's a whole other thing. Like, the wind obeying you, because we love control, don't we? We love when everything is going exactly the way that we would like. We love to think that when everything is running smoothly, it's because we figured it out. I mean, what is the American dream? The American dream is to be as comfortable as we can while still maintaining as much control as we can. That's the dream. Like, if we can just get to the place where, like, I'm just living the dream. When someone says that they're living the dream, what does that mean, right? Right? Health is good, money's good, wife's good, everything's fine, everything's perfect, right? This is what we want. We want to maintain as much control as we can have. It's good to think like, man, 10K and I've got $10,000 in the savings account. My credit score looks great. Kids are behaving. Marriage couldn't be perfect. Job is clicking. Car is paid for. Health is improved. Vacation is planned. I'm happy. That's all I need. Like, God, come on. What was that, like six things? That's it. But are we? Because it's very rare that we can get to all of those things that I've mentioned and check them all off the list and, to, and, then, and then realize that we're still empty. So what the enemy does is he'll mention all of those things that I'll mention. You'll think of a few of those that you don't actually have, and that will be your goal. That if I can just, look, I've got, I've got those things, but if I could just, if my marriage could just be where it needs to be, then I'll be happy. If I could just have this amount of money saved up, then I'll be happy. And so our end goals end up being secondary things. Nothing wrong with these things. But it isn't the first thing. 
And so we convince ourselves that our joy cannot be found because one or more of those things are missing. And if I just had a husband who loved me, the ladies might say, if I just had, bank, if I just had my bank account the way that I, it once was, or if my health were at a place where I could be more active. And if we aren't careful, we'll live our entire life chasing these things. And that is far easier to preach and to hear than to actually live out. Because when we leave here, those things do matter. They matter greatly. They matter not only to you, but you know that they matter to those around you, that our image is at stake, that, well, what will people think if we don't have this, or we don't, we don't drive two vehicles, or we don't, you know, what if my kids do act up sometimes? Not mine. But what if your kids act up sometimes, right? My kids are perfect. It can be overwhelming. It can be overwhelming because life just throws so many opportunities that we feel like we have to take. If I miss this opportunity, if I miss this one. But the simplicity of the scripture here, I think, is just a thing of beauty because he says that he sleeps and he rises night and day and the seed sprouts and grows and he doesn't know how. The earth produces by itself, first the blade, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. And, but when the grain is ripe, at once he puts in the sickle because the harvest has come. God reaps what has been planted. Revelation 14, 15 says this, And another angel came out of the temple calling with a loud voice to him who sat on the cloud, put in your sickle and reap, for the hour to reap has come, for the harvest of the earth is fully ripe. Throughout this moment, throughout this parable, Jesus is expressing to us that God does what only God can do. God saves that which is lost. You can't. You can't, you can't, as much as you're burdened for the lost, you can't save that person. But you can preach the saving work of Christ. I've heard it said, you, you know, you can lead a, wa- a horse to water, but you can't make him drink. But you can put some salt in his oats, right? You can make him thirsty. That's what we're called to do is we're, we're, we're called to go out and make the, make the lost think, man, what is this? That they have. I mean, even Jesus is like, just taste and see that I am good. And yet we are such a product of consumerism that we live in, that we have been bred to think that the consumer is always right. We buy into catchy phrases, mottos, cliches like just do it or have it your way. And slowly we become convinced that what matters most in this life is what I'm able to accomplish. This is the original sin, isn't it? That being convinced that we have more power than God. And if we aren't careful, we'll read a text like this and we'll think that it's about man scattering seed rather than the seed itself. Let me again remind you that the seed, God's word, is where we draw our strength.
I do my, I do my absolute best to prepare for sermons. It, it really burdens me. It's a, it can be a tough week at times preparing. And, you know, Greg mentioned last night, he's like, I saw you online, you know, last night, like 11 o'clock last night. I was like, yeah, I was still doing that. like still trying to wrestle through these things. And if you've preached or if you've been close to someone who has preached on a Sunday morning or whatever, you can maybe you've sensed the burden that can be placed on them. And I'm not going to say that that burden hasn't gone away, but it has lessened as I have become more and more confident that if I get up here and I preach the good news of God's word, if I preach the gospel, then I've done my job. Because I, I've, I've probably mispronounced something since I was up. Do you, I mean, I rolled through that Greek word like I knew what I was talking about. <laughs> I have no idea if that was the right pronunciation. But I'm, I'm going to get up here and I'm going to do my absolute best and I'm going, to, I'm, going to, I'm going to serve you to the best of my ability. But there is one thing that I can say that I do absolutely perfectly and that is I read God's word and you just hear it. That's, that's, that's all that I have to offer you is God's word. And I can tell you it is enough that God's word is sufficient, that his ways are, are not our ways, but if we focus in and his kingdom being first, that all these other things, they will be added to us. It is the seed, it is God's word that is valuable. I don't know when I was saved. Is that maybe some of your stories? Some of you maybe have like a date in mind, things like that. I don't know. I, I know that I've like trusted the Lord my whole life. To some degree, I would say there have definitely been seasons where I've been more rebellious, where, I've, where I would say, like, I, I don't really consider myself a Christian all that much. But I can tell you, when I was 16 years old, I had a, a pretty defining moment where, I, where I, I definitely knew that the Lord was gripping me, that I was beginning to, to come out from underneath of my parents' um, faith and walking more into my own. And I remember sitting there, and it, it, I remember sitting on my front porch in our old house outside, and I was reading the scripture, not really knowing what exactly I was getting into, and it was almost in the same moment that I was uh, being wooed by God to salvation. At the same time, I was like being called into ministry, and I was feeling this burden to not just uh, be a part of this kingdom, but, but preach and minister the gospel. And as I was reading, I flipped open to Jeremiah chapter 1, and this has been sort of my... Uh, just a signature, a, a, an anthem for me throughout my, my life. Because the, Jeremiah wrestles with something that I think we all wrestle with, and we have to get what's going on here. But Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 4, it says, Now the, the word of the Lord came to me, saying, this is God speaking to Jeremiah the prophet, he says, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. And so God is, is speaking to this young man in such a way to say, before you were even a thought to anyone else around you, I knew you. And I formed you. And I appointed you. And then Jeremiah responds the way that I think many of us would respond, or at least I did. And he said, Ah, Lord God, behold, I do not know how to speak, for I am only a youth. This is, this is Jeremiah focusing a little bit here on the man 
with the seed rather than the seed itself. This is him kind of, of stepping away saying like, God, I am inadequate. I don't know these things. I, who am I to go when I'm just a kid? Like, who am I to go and share these things? God, who am I to, to walk out of these doors and to, to share the gospel with anyone in Mechanicsville or anyone in this state or, or anyone in my family? Like, God, who am I? And God says to Jeremiah, I do not say that I am only a youth for to all that I send you, you shall go and whatever I command you, you shall speak. Do not be afraid of them for I am with you to deliver you, declares the Lord. God is saying it is not going to be your word. It's going to be the word that I put in you. We get so intimidated about discipleship and about evangelism. And here's why, because we forget that it's not about us. Oh, well, what if I get rejected? Okay, well, that was promised. We would get rejected. What if I get made fun of? Okay, That's, that, this is just part of it that we have to put aside ourself. I don't know a lot about farming. I would not be a good farmer. I just wouldn't. Um, but I do know that if you want corn, you should plant corn. I do know that. That's rule number one. If you want corn, plant corn. If you want corn, plant corn. It is the gospel of Jesus Christ that must go forward. It is the, the question of what are you planting? If you plant peas, don't get mad that you didn't get corn. Right? Mosaic's attitude, the body of Christ's attitude toward the gospel should always be one that desires to be spread. Like I've said, if you are waiting for the perfect event or, the, or a scheduled moment that you can share the gospel with someone, then you are putting the emphasis on the man spreading the seed rather than the seed itself. As I close, let me ask you these couple of questions. And then we'll pray. I, I hope that this word has been edifying as we, as we know that um, the pressure is off in the sense of the weight of our words. But it's on in the sense of knowing that it is God's word that matters. So as we are being fed these things, that is what is to, to go out, the seed itself. And so let me ask you, what are you waiting for? Let me ask you this, what are you planting? And then finally, I think this is one of the biggest distractions that we have. Are you distracted by how others are planting? Are you so distracted by how other people are using their gifts that you have just decided to not use your gifts at all? You've decided I'm not going to share at all. Maybe there's someone in this room that, that is musically inclined that we have just no idea because the enemy has convinced you that it's not worthy of hearing. Or maybe you've got, you have the ability to speak or to share or to, to whatever it might be. Let me tell you that you have a role in this body. Whether you're here visiting, whether you've been here since we, we launched, I can tell you that the body of Christ is filled up with many members and are all necessary. The enemy so much wants to isolate you. He so much wants to make you think that you are insignificant. Oh, look at you, just, just spreading, just spreading seed. Just look at that. What a waste. 
He sleeps and he rises. And day and the seed sprouts and grows and he does not know. It almost just seems so insignificant. And yet the earth produces by itself. Praise God that his word does not go forward void. Thanks for listening to the Mosaic Church Sermon Podcast. For more information about Mosaic, including location and service times, or to support us financially, visit our website at mosaicrva.com or find us on Instagram and Facebook at Mosaic Church RVA. Remember, it's not about us, it's all about Jesus.